Welcome back to Spoonful of Sugar. Today's episode will be hosted by Adam Elwood, a fourth-year medical student at the Drexel University College of Medicine. Enjoy! Hey, future doctors. Thanks for tuning in to Spoonful of Sugar, a podcast made for medical students by medical students to help the medicine go down. My name is Adam Elwood. I'm a fourth-year student at Drexel University College of Medicine, and I'll be your host today. Having a tough time remembering those mesoderm tissues, branchial arches, and embryo development, it's no easy task, but thankfully it can be done. This session is meant to be more of a review of these topics, some mnemonics to help memorize them, and get you to those quick points on step one. It's more of a way to start forming those knee-jerk reflexes to questions that will prevent you from getting bogged down in the details and focus on what will get you the right answers. Today, we're going over fertilization and implantation, twinning, ecto, meso, and endoderm, aortic arches, and branchial arches. So let's start with the development of the embryo. First, the ovary is going to release the ovum as a secondary oocyte with the genetic material halted in the metaphase stage of meiosis II. And that'll allow the genetic material to wait until fertilization when the sperm joins the egg. And at that point, when the sperm joins the egg, the genetic material fuses, and that marks day zero of the embryologic development. We mark it day zero because further down the line, that's when you can typically track forward when developmental milestones are supposed to occur. Fertilization typically occurs in the distal one-third of the fallopian tubes, and as the days go on, days one through six, the egg travels to the endometrium and implants there. As the egg travels, it starts to divide more and more into two cells, four cells, more cells for the morula, starts to develop cavities, and then implant on day six about. And when it implants, it's supposed to attach directly to the endometrium and start forming a placenta. If it doesn't attach to the endometrium, it can attach somewhere else in the body, and that's typically called an ectopic pregnancy. And when that happens, it can cause a risk for the mother, a risk to the baby, and it wants to be picked up as soon as possible. The most common location for an ectopic pregnancy is in the ampulla of the fallopian tube, and it can be found all throughout the rest of the pelvic cavity. And some risk factors are more common to present with ectopic pregnancies. Can you think of a few risk factors? So some risk factors for ectopic pregnancy would be prior ectopic pregnancy, pelvic inflammatory disease, some surgery in the past in that area, smoking history, and prior tubal surgery. So these are all things that can cause scar formation or reasons why an egg would stick to that area as opposed to in the endometrium. Let's talk a little bit more about the divisions of the embryo. When the cells divide, they have the opportunity to create multiple gestations, also known as twinning. And twinning comes in two flavors, dizygotic and monozygotic. Dizygotic twins are a little bit more simple to talk about. That is also known as a fraternal twin, and it comes when two sperm fertilize two separate eggs, and you can imagine the normal progression of fertilization and implantation just happening twice over. And so this will create two different embryos from different sets of genetic material, two different sets of eggs, two different sets of sperm. Monozygotic twins, on the other hand, are a little bit more complicated when they divide. 
what I like to do to simplify how they divide and what stages happen is firstly looking at the timeline. You don't really need to memorize the days that this happened, but I like to think of them in a progression. Two of the different types of monozygotic twins split before implantation, one splits during implantation, and one splits after implantation. And as you go further and further down, the risks to the baby and to the embryos are a little bit higher as you go. And we'll talk about the risks, we'll talk about what you lose as you progress further and further later and later in the divisions. So let's start with the categories and the characteristics of the, uh, the different embryos and what they can develop. So first thing is the placenta, whether or not the two embryos share a placenta. Then the amniotic sac, whether or not they share one amniotic sac or have separate. And then finally, whether or not they have separate bodies, whether they're conjoined. And we'll talk about which stages divide to create which embryo. So the first division is before impl implantation, and that creates a dichorionic, diamniotic baby. So this means dichorionic to chorion, diamniotic to amnion. They have, each baby has their own placenta, each baby has their own amniotic sac. This has the least amount of complications between the two and usually would lead to preterm birth or malpresentation and a risk for C-section. As you progress further delaying division, you lose the separate placenta between embryos. So now at the four to eight day stage when the morula divides and creates a monozygotic twin, you have monochorionic diamniotic. So one chorion, one placenta, diamniotic, two different amniotic sacs. This is the most common type of monozygotic twin. It's about 75% of twins. And so you develop new risks this way. You can get twin-to-twin -twin transfusion because they share blood vessels through the placenta. And this can cause a discrepancy in size and then also some, um, some poorer health outcomes. As you progress further, this gets you to 8 to 12 days, and I like to think of this as around the time of implantation. And you lose separate amniotic sacs. So now the sacs go away, and you have a monochorionic, monoamniotic twin. It means one chorion, one amniotic sac. Finally, the last set of twins would be conjoined twins. Interestingly enough, these twins are also monochorionic and monoamniotic. That means they have one placenta and one amniotic sac. However, they have lost separate bodies. They've started to form bodies connected in one way or another. And these ones are typically rare. One mnemonic that I've read online for you to help remember this is the different stages of uh, cleavage for the twins to form and what factors you lose over time. It's called SCAB, S as in separate chorion and amnion, C as in shared chorion, A as in shared amnion, and B as in shared body, conjoined twins. The interesting thing about embryologic cells is that they are all fated to become one tissue or another. 
Some have a genetic code within them that tell them to become one tissue, and others are induced by other cells to become certain tissues. Each cell has a certain fate, and this is also known as embryologic derivatives. And the different layers of tissues come in three flavors, ectoderm, mesoderm, and endoderm. The ectoderm means outside, meso means middle, and endo means inside. And using these stems, I like to think of them as how they coordinate with the tissues that they'll become down the road. So ectoderm is outside, and I'd like to start from there. The outside, you think of things like the epidermis, the lining of the skin, including sweat glands and mammary glands, which are just modified sweat glands, as well as hair follicles. Additionally, you have epithelial linings of the mouth, which is in contact with the outside world, um, the epithelial lining of the anus as well, for a similar parallel, and a notable uh, inclusion here is the cornea and the lens of the eye. Within ectoderm, you have the neural crest cells, and these are typical board fodders. So you have to memorize the mnemonic and just be able to recognize one from a list of four or five, and then you'll be able to get easy points. I'll list the mnemonic that everyone knows. It's Motel Pass, M for melanocytes, another M for myenteric plexus, O for odontoblasts, E for endocardial cushions, L for laryngeal cartilage, P for parafollicular cells, another P for peripheral nervous system, a for adrenal medulla, S for spinal membrane, and another S for Schwann cells. If you can memorize that list, you will easily be able to get a point or two on the exam. What they'll basically do is give you a tissue and say which one is neural crest derived. Let's skip mesoderm for now, as I'll tell you in a moment, but let's move on to endoderm. Endoderm is basically the gut tube or the epithelial lining of the digestive tract. Um, it's also the lining of the urethra as well as the lower vagina, and these things are kind of the only ones that you have to worry about. It's on the very inside. So if you think about the ectoderm being the lining of the mouth and the anus, everything in between is pretty much endoderm. And now we get to mesoderm. I like to think of mesoderm as everything else. It's the muscles, it's the bones, it's the uh, connective tissues, and it's most of the organs, including circulatory and lymphatic. So I like to think if it's not ectoderm, including neurocrest, it's not endoderm, you have a pretty good idea that it's mesoderm. The rest of this episode is going to be dedicated to other embryologic derivatives, including the aortic arch derivatives and the branchial arch derivatives. And what I want you to get out of this part specifically is that it follows a pattern, and I want you to start developing knee-jerk reactions and think through these as a general idea as opposed to knowing specifics, because that will be the easiest way for you to get points on test day. Even the items we talked about previously they can be determined through a general idea as opposed to knowing exact days and knowing exact cell divisions. Um, and that way you can find out the correct answer from a list of several. So let's give you an example and start talking about the aortic arch derivatives. 
the aortic arch derivatives are divided first through fourth and sixth. We skip the fifth. So this rule that I'm about to give you is common to both the aortic arch derivatives and the branchial arch derivatives. The first arch for both of them is the arch of M, as in Mary, and the second arch is the arch of S, as in Samantha. So for the aortic arch specifically, the first arch is going to turn into the maxillary artery, maxillary M. The second arch in the aortic arch derivatives is going to turn into the stapedial artery, S for stapedial. Then what I want you to do is work your way downward. You start at the jaw, move up to the ear, and then down to the neck. The third arch is going to be the common carotid artery and parts of the internal carotid. So if you see the letter C and you know that you're in the top part of the neck, that's going to be the third arch. The fourth arch, you're working down, is going to be part of the aortic arch, the right proximal uh, subclavian artery. That's even further down. So if you think about it, you're moving from the mandible to the ear, down to the neck, and even further down to the neck and upper thoracic region. So this will hopefully help you get an idea because you know the first arch is M, the second arch is S, and then you just have to know whether it's higher or lower. Is it going to be third or fourth? The sixth arch is going to be pulmonary arteries and the ductus arteriosus. I would just memorize the one ductus arteriosus seems to be the most important out of those. Now moving on to the branchial arches, that same rule applies. First branchial arch is the arch of M, and the second branchial arch is the arch of S. For examples of the first branchial arch, maxillary process, mandibular process, malleus, and incus. So you're working from the mandible up to towards the ear. As far as muscles go, you have the muscles of mastication, the masseter, the medial pterygoids, the mylohyoid. One notable exception in the first branchial artery, arch, excuse me, is the anterior belly of the digastric. And that's going to be opposed to the posterior belly, which we'll talk about in just a moment. The second branchial arch is the arch of S. You have the stapes, you have the styloid, you have the stylohyoid ligament. All these are S's. As far as the muscles, you have stapedius, stylohyoid, platysma, and this is where you have the posterior belly of the digastric. So the way I like to remember those is first arch, first anterior front, second arch, second posterior back. So you're working your way forward to backward. Then you have the third branchial arch, and this one is going to be stylopharyngeus and glossopharyngeus. This is kind of going to be an intermediate between your mandible and um, and down towards the neck where you where we're going to talk about the fourth through sixth branchi branchial arches. And in the fourth through sixth branchial arches, you have pretty much the thyroid and the larynx. You have cricoid cartilage, you have thyroid, arretinoids. These are all going to be in the same area. So um, this is used to swallow and speak all of these muscles, all of this cartilage. They're all going to be in that lower to middle area of the neck. And if you don't have something that's M or S, if you don't have something that's thyroid or larynx, then it's going to be the third branchial arch. So process of elimination, 
and knee-jerk reflexes. That's what you need to know about these. So to sum up this entire episode, I basically want you to understand that not everything needs to be memorized this than that. I think it's a great idea to get a more broad picture of what you're learning and be able to relate it to one another. So we talked about the release of the ovum and the development of the embryo, um, how day zero is fertilization and you move forward to day six where you have implantation and things can go wrong all the way through implantation and further. You can have ectopic pregnancies and we talked about the risk factors for those, pretty much anything that can cause scarring in that area. We talked about twinning, which is a typical division of the cells on the way to implantation or further. And we talked about the characteristics that they lose as they wait further in division to divide. We talked about fates of ecto, meso, and endoderm. If it's not ecto, if it doesn't keep the outside out and the inside in, then think if it's endoderm, if it's not pretty much the gut tube or anything on the inner linings, then the rest is meso. We talked about aortic arches and branchial arches. Both of them follow the rules of first arch being the arch of M and the second arch being the arch of S. And then from there, you kind of work your way down. If it's not upper thorax, think about the neck and in relation to other anatomical landmarks. Um, I just want to make sure that you're getting the idea as a whole, as opposed to memorizing this list of things that the arches turn into. I want to thank you all for listening. If you found this episode helpful, please subscribe to our podcast. If you have any questions, comments, or concerns, visit our website at spoonfulofsugar.org and post them under this episode. Good luck with studying, and remember that Spoonful of Sugar is always here to help the medicine go down.